So this reflecting ability we have is emphasized by the Buddha in his teaching. The structure itself is, uh, in the, if you look at, you uh, chant the Tamajaka Pavatana Sutta, uh, first sermon, the Four Noble Truths, you'll, you'll notice it's a, it's a statement, there is suffering, suffering should be understood, suffering has been understood. Uh, that pattern follows through the each noble truth, twelve insights, three aspects of each truth. First statement is, uh, is a statement, there is, and then to understand, which means to, the, the second one is a, what to do about it, understand it. <clears throat> In other words, notice it rather than just react to it. Like we tend to just react to suffering uh, and see it as, you know, have various emotional aversions, resistances, or blaming, or whatever, on, on the world around us. So to understand is not understand the word itself, but the reality of it. So it's looking, you know, understand suffering, you have to accept it, your own sense of, of inadequacy, uh, worry, anxiety, Wanting something, not wanting something is like this. Understanding. And then the insight, third is uh, uh, the insight that comes through understanding. <coughs> Suffering has been understood. Now if it's merely uh, a doctrine, doctrinal teaching, and a in a theory, then it isn't, it isn't reflective, it's merely giving you some kind of intellectual equipment to think about or analyze. But notice this is, is turning inward. You look, you're not looking for suffering as something external anymore, but uh, your own feelings that derive from not understanding suffering, but merely being caught in reacting to it. So the, the difference between noble truth and doctrinal teachings, is doctrine is you, you're supposed to accept it and operate from a doctrine, from a, from a, a given doctrine where uh, the noble truths are stating a, a reality that we all experience, we can all recognize. It's not subtle or difficult, it's ordinary human suffering. Pointing to it, and telling you what to do about it, in order to uh, be free from just the habitual, blind, ignorant reactions suffering that we have if we don't do this. So notice there's no kind of basic doctrine or uh, we're not operating from from a stated uh, doctrinal position. Like dukkha is not ultimate reality or it's not, uh, you know, it's not the something that is uh, permanent. It is what it is, and it's to understand it. That means that we can free ourselves from the causes, recognize, discern the, the absence, and cultivate accordingly to that those kind of insights. So it's a very pragmatic teaching. Then we have the, uh, the, the tradition itself, the Pali uh, Buddhist Theravada tradition. Uh, and for myself, I've been, uh, you know, trained and uh, took the Upasampada in Thailand. And so the 10 years of training with Lung Pacha 
And that kind of training was always aimed at reflecting on the way it is rather than trying to, uh, you know, try to solve all the worldly problems so that we we, uh, try to make everything right and good according to various individuals' ideas. So the, that's why I keep emphasizing this, this, uh, the uh, Dhamma as our goal, you know, as a, the immediate goal, the purpose of this life. Uh, I'm not interested in a kind of just holding on to traditions and uh, promoting Buddhism in the Western world or trying to appease uh, or convert or please anyone. The whole point of Amravati, to me, anyway, this was my intention, was to make a place available for this kind of teaching, for people interested, those inclined, those who have some uh, appreciation or interest or willingness to uh, uh, practice. So people do, you know, they have, what is your vision? What do you see for the future? Uh, How do you want to develop? All these questions uh, people ask me. Because this is how the world thinks, to have a vision of the future, a development of the Sangha, and on and on like this. Well, to me, this this is not part of my uh, interest, not about vision for the future. It's, it's always pointing at the here and now, awaken attention here and now. <clears throat> so there's no future. The tradition is a, that we have is an expedient means only. It's not, not to be seen in terms of uh, something that you know we're we're attached to and that we give ourselves to a tradition on a personal level the point of the tradition is merely a functional one simplify our way of living in order to uh, not have all the kind of worldly demands Worldly attitudes pulling us every which way. So that's why the ideal of the samana is, uh, you know, to me the aim of the life is contentment, gratitude, because uh, this way, this bringing into the society here uh, something that I think it needs. It needs, we need to you know, humility, contentment, gratitude, rather than ambition, uh, a missionary cause, uh, rights, and and so forth, that the modern life tends to exalt and believe in completely. So it is, uh, you know, kind of the sense of humility of... uh, not trying to be somebody or prove anything or you know, always thinking of the future to change it, make it better, modernize it, and on and on. Like this, this, these are worldly values that are quite common everywhere at this time. Now the Sakyaditi then is the first fetter and this is, uh, you know, we are, you know, conditioned to actually, you know, completely committed to ourselves as an individual and a person, personality. It's not blaming anyone for that, it's the culture, the the times, this is the age of personality. You hear on the radio about celebrity culture, people that have no talent whatsoever but have some ability to make themselves a celebrity, uh, well-known for, for nothing but being well-known. 
and and these are you know kind of empty values of the of the time having power having influence dominance individualism rights idealism of fairness and equality and and freedom these are ideals and these ideals taken from the individual level you know it's uh, it leads towards endless discontentment you know if we're all equal and we all should be free equally and have equal rights and equal everything on an individual level where where do we feel everything is equal you know is it it just uh, you know that's not that equality that i'm against equality but we have to awaken to the way it is that the condition realm is very nature is difference inequality change uh, a condition changes so it's you know it's not equal Equality lies in their characteristics, the Nietzsche Dukkanata. And so that's where when we reflect in say Vipassana meditation on these three characteristics of existence, this uh, this is what they all share in common, all conditioned phenomena. Subtle, psychic, mental, emotional, physical, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. The equality lies in the in these three characteristics: impermanence. All conditions are impermanent, unsatisfactory, dukkha, and anatta, non-self. So this is discerning the way it is. It's not about how things should be from an ideal, but it's about you know the realities of being human, of being a human individual sensitive form living here and now in this place this time in this place so this this sense of of exerting rights and individual and expressing individuality and and uh, working on that level seems to me pointless uh, in this context if that's your aim in life, then say the political realm or something like that would be a more suitable way to to promote your agendas. But in terms of <coughs> you know liberation from ignorance and suffering, then uh, this this uh, is a very effective convention for getting to the roots, the causes of dukkha of suffering. Sometimes in modern life, Buddhism is, you know, people are very idealistic about it. So it, it should be peaceful and everybody's full of kindness and compassion. So, you know, it does have a good public image, basically, in, in the Western world. I don't suppose it does in China, but in, in the day, but the... Uh, uh, West, Western world generally considers it at least it's peaceful, it's non-violent, it's uh, compassionate. But these are also ideals, aren't they? The peace and compassion. Uh, when we grasp them as ideals, then we're then we become very critical of the realities. If people have an idea that that. Buddhist monks and nuns should be full of compassion all the time, metta and karuna, and peaceful, calm, wise. And then they meet the reality, they become disillusioned. They say, oh, I thought Buddhist monks are peaceful, and they don't get, ever get angry. And then they, they lose their, their, because the ideal of the Buddhist monk, the Buddhist nun, has been is the, the reality of individual human being who's taken on the, the, uh, this form, this tradition, 
for practice. It doesn't magically transform you into a Buddha Rupa or into an ideal Buddhist monk or nun. So each one of us has to, you know, I, we reflect on I am the owner of my karma, heir to my karma. This reflection is, we're all working from where we are, the way it is, you know, the, the conditions that we experience, which are different, not equal. And then we, not, we expect everybody to, uh, my mistakes in monastic life is thinking because I do it this way, everybody else should, or because I suffer like this, then everybody else suffers exactly the same way, only realize that that's not true. Thinking that I am the kind of uh, example of human humanity, uh, and therefore everybody, I, I judge everybody according to myself, that's Sakaya Ditti. Now, an ideal is, uh, you know, not to be despised, but it's to be seen for what it is. It's discerning an ideal from re reality. So the Buddha was not talking about ideals of how things should be, but about the reality of being a human being. And this applies, you know, this is teaching its origin was uh, in India, 2,552 years ago, and it's it's a universal truth because it applies today equally. It's not, you know, it's not about ancient Indian civilization or modern European civilization, as if there's the the human predicament is that different. Basically, it's the same thing, isn't it? Suffering ignorance and the suffering that comes out of ignorance. Now we can, we can assume that we're not ignorant, that we're educated, literate people. On the Sakyaditi level that might be true, you know, that I'm educated person, can read and write, all that kind of thing. But the ignorance, in this case the avicca, uh, in Pali, is not understanding the Four Noble Truths, Three Aspects and Twelve Insights. So when we talk about wisdom or Panya, this is, it's a, it's, it all revolves around this, is having these insights into suffering, its causes, its uh, cessation, its absence. And the way of living our lives uh, the remainder of our lives in the human form without creating suffering. In other words, through discerning, through panya, through satipanya, through discerning, uh, and looking, learning from the vipaka kama that we experience as we grow old. So we have the insights when you know, depending on the individual uh, from various, you know, the young, middle-aged, old, or whatever. But you're not dead yet. So, you know, you have uh, a, a life, the remainder li of your life, you know, to uh, cultivate pavana, the way of non-suffering, the Eightfold Path, in other words. <coughs> And so the Eightfold Path is, uh, you know, the insight that is the catalyst for the rest of the, you know, for this path is the Samaditi. So if you notice in the, uh, in the Four Noble Truths, the insight into the cessation, the end of suffering, is... Uh, then leads to samaditi, right understanding, or perfect understanding. And so that perfect understanding is not a kind of conceptual understanding. You can't find perfect understanding in the Pali Dictionary. It can't be conveyed by an enlightened teacher 
it's to be known uh, individually. This is the, you, you have to, it's the understanding that comes through intuitive real, realization, not through acquiring uh, somebody else's view, no matter how accurate and profound somebody else's view might be. So even if it's in the Pali Canon, it's somebody else's view that you acquire uh, that kind of information from a book or from uh, maybe an enlightened teacher. But that's not it. It's not about the Dalai Lama says this or Ajahn Chah says that or whatever. It's, it's about you having penetrated through uh, investigation of suffering, its causes, cessation and the, the way of non-suffering. So for in my own case, the way of non-suffering is, uh, is non-attachment, non-self. Emptiness, unconditioned, unborn, unformed, uncreated. It's just this, it's a recognizing and samaditi then, samasangapo intention. <coughs> After there's right understanding, perfect understanding, then your intention, there, there's no choice anymore and you know, you no longer want to, you know, you don't see the futility of just uh, running back into the conditioned realm blindly. We have to learn how to live with the conditioned realm because it's part, it's our vipaka karma, the, the physical body as it ages, the, the, then this, when conditions arise, we feel certain emotions. We still, you know, after we're, we have insight into the path, and people still insult us or, or challenge us or you know, we have to deal with, with all kinds of conditions that affect us physically, emotionally. We don't get out of it. Like we suddenly don't feel anything. And uh, the conditioned realm, the society we live in doesn't affect us anymore. We're just totally indifferent to it. We don't, and that would be a zombie. If that's what enlightenment was, was just making us totally indifferent to the sensitive realm that we're experiencing. So we're not trying to become zombies, but, <clears throat> you know, to fu awaken fully to the sensitive, to the sensitivity that is the vipaka kama of being born in this realm as a human individual. And then in the, the monastic sangha, recognize that this, we've committed ourselves to a conventional form that is, it's, it's per, you know, it's a moral form. It's all about restraint, not not uh, harming, intentionally harming, insulting uh, other beings. Respect for nature, respect for environment, respect for society, respect for individuals. So, you know, we're the, the Dhamma or the truth of the way it is doesn't make us into callous, indifferent psychopaths. or zombies. <coughs> so then the, the, the metta, the Brahma Viharas, they come into, you know, these, this is a reflection. What comes out of the purity of consciousness is not personal anymore. It's not me, Ajahn Sumato, full of compassion and incredibly kind and nice about everything. It's not, you know, me trying to act a role of being a kind, compassionate Buddhist monk in the society. Because that sense of a self is, has, seen, has been recognized as not to, not to be attached to it. But to trust 
in the awareness and then the then our relationships to each other to the society to the environment are best described through these four brahma viharas <clears throat> metta karuna mudita upeka so it's not about trying to be more compassionate as a person but compassion spontaneously arises from consciousness when we see the conditions for that particular response to a particular situation. Now the samana life then is, you know, the Buddhist monastic life is alms mendicancy. And so contemplate that. What is, what, why did the Buddha establish a convention on alms mendicancy, like the four requisites. You know, in termly in 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 uh, the terms of our time, in values of modern modern life, it it's uh, it seems almost a kind of madness. Depending, you know, not having money, not having personal possessions, not owning property, not, not, uh, you know, having to, re- say, relinquish food after we've eaten our meal, not storing it up for the next day. You know, not, this ideal of the alms mendicant is one who, you know, is totally dependent helplessly dependent on the goodness and kindness of others. Now here at Amravati, we can take it for granted. We're the alms mendicants, the lay people, we relinquish the food, but we know the lay people will keep it and serve it the next day. So there is a kind (laughs) you know, recognize this is one of the, the dangers of our life here, is that we can become, you know, like priests or Brahmins or princesses or princes or kind of aristocratic uh, twits that just, you know, expect people to to provide for us because we have larders and fridges and things like this. We have a, a lot of support financially. There's no great threat that we're going to not get any food today. <clears throat> but then uh, remember that that uh, at the time of the Buddha they, they were wandering mendicants and so there's no guarantee that anyone's got, anyone would offer anything. There's all kinds of vinaya rules around cloth because no doubt at that time, cloth was much more difficult to get than it is now. We have lots of cloth. And the time is one of, of abundance, affluence on the material level. Beyond, you know, it's never been this, the, the society in any culture, any civilization has never had where the average member of the society had so much. Say a Western world at this time. So this, uh, you know, this is where the alms mendicant values of our life need to be taken into account. Why we reflect on it to remind ourselves, because it is, it's easy to become precious and a kind of privileged person. People, you know, they they put us on pedestals. They, you know, bow to us, and and uh, do all kinds of of gestures, a part of a traditional form. So it can it can lead to sakya ditti. This is this is my concern. You know, do we 
you know, are we in this for a position for being respected by others? Some of you complain about feeling it, that you're at the bottom of the pile. And uh, this baffles me, this, with this kind of statement. Do I always have to be at the bottom of the pile? And this is, this is not the, the thought, or the perception of a samana. We are at the bottom of the pile, all of us. We deliberately choose to be, the being alms mendicant. It's a personal choice, you know, we are forced into this, into this form. You have to ask three times to get in on the traditional side of it. <clears throat> so recognize that this, this alms mendicant form is we're, we're deliberately choosing to put ourselves out in that position of dependency, being at the bottom of the pile. And this is, uh, you know, to see how uh, that, that with, so that we're not demanding, expecting uh, the society to provide for us. And so then this, uh, when the society does provide for us, and they do, you know, then it, it generates this gatanyu gatavaiti, this gratitude. Now you can't have gatanyu gatavaiti if you're, if you're always thinking in terms of, uh, I don't get what I want, uh, you know, feeling envious of others, uh, expecting, demanding rights and so forth from, from the uh, tradition, from the society, it leads to discontentment, dissatisfaction, which is, you know, using this form to, for, for sakya ditti, to increase the sakya ditti level, like being senior monk. Now in my position, I'm the you know, the most senior monk. And so you can look at me in terms of, you know, he's, uh, you know, Emperor Sumato, if you want, or the Pope, or, you know, I have royal titles, I could start using those. You know, and being, you know, somebody that is so self-important, you know, because I'm, at the top of the pile, and and then one can envy me, thinking, uh, I you know, I want to be like that. I don't want to be at the bottom. <clears throat> Whether at the top or the bottom of the pile, this is this is uh, the identity of being at the top of the bottom or seniority is uh, can be sakyaditi. This is merely expediency. That the seniority. Uh, seniority structure of Sangha life. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's expedient means. It's not to promote Sakayaditi or a sense of I'm senior to you. But it can reflect that because we do create Sakayaditi out of the conventions, you know, how we can create Sakyaditi out of being Theravadan Buddhists. I hear Buddhists do that all the time, you know, we're the true pure form of Buddhism and Mahayana Buddhism is not the real, you know, it came later. So we're the, the original, the pure. And then the Mahayana, they can go into, they're the advanced, the great vehicle and Theravada is the, the, the selfish Arahant primitive vehicle. Well now these are, these are, these could be forms of Sakya Ditti, you know. Who wants to belong to, to the little vehicle? You know, if we're full of, of, you know, our desires for being the best, let's all become Mahayana Buddhists so we have the great vehicle. So it's, uh, and this is, 
just see how, how the language, language is like this. It has great and small, and you know, this is better than that, this is, this is the top of the pile, this is the bottom of the pile. Uh, if you're at the bottom of the pile somehow, you're, you're a failure. If you're at the top, you're a success. So, you know, I'm a successful bhikkhu. You know, I have my books, me, 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 the first foreign Western disciple of Ajahn Chah, waiting list to go on my retreat. I'm so good because I'm at the top of the pile and I'm, uh, you know, I'm well-known, respected, senior in every way like this. What is that saying, you know, is that worthy of respect, worthy of alms? Or is, is that just Sakya Ditti? You know, I've used the system, the accolades, the conditions of my life for promoting myself as a person. So it's like being given an opportunity uh, for liberation. I've used it to enslave myself. So in this, uh, the dasadamas also, these are these are samana reflections, the ten uh, dhammas to be reflected upon again and again by one who has gone forth. Because these, these help us to put into proper context our own tendencies, our conceits, pride, idealism. It's not to make us, you know, make us feel guilty or uh, humiliated, but to help us to remember that we are dependent on the goodness of others, which means that we're not priests, we're not a priesthood. We're not Brahmins, we're not a privileged caste of special uh, priests that should be, uh, you know, regarded in, in, you know, as better or more holy or more spiritual than the rest. We're putting ourselves down at the level of a beggar isn't it a beggar, is someone who's dependent on the generosity of other people. Well, that's at the bottom of the pile in terms of society. And yet here in England, we can, we can promote ourselves as a kind of a priesthood of, you know, monks and nuns, ajans, teachers, meditation teachers, spiritually uh, advanced, individuals and on and on like this so that and the society you know if we don't you know if we if we go along with it you know we're we're misusing the the tradition we're given something for liberation and we're using it for delusion and enslavement So, like wanting to become ajans, teachers, uh, you know, to be be a meditation teacher. These are worldly values, you know. So that, you know, try to keep in mind the the samana life, the bhikkhu, the siladar, the the anagarika, as something not to to use or misuse but to reflect from. And then the, the sense of gratitude, gatanyu uh, gatavethi, that is a very beautiful, heartfelt emotion. You can't, you know, sakyaditi won't make me feel it. I can, you know, I can go through the, I can say it, I'm terribly grateful for everything. Uh, you know, I'm so grateful to Thailand, to Lumpur Cha. I could, it could be just, um, you know, another form of sakyaditi. Isn't Ajahn Sumato, he's so grateful for everything. It's not that. It's a, it's a heartfelt or soul-felt 
sense uh, of having reflected on the goodness that, you know, of the opportunity as a human uh, individual at this time to, to be, to live this life, to practice, to hear the teaching of the Buddha, to uh, be given the support, the alms, the, the, the food, the robes, shelter, medicine, where, where it's not uh, a me promoting myself as someone that's very grateful for everything. Or contentment, <clears throat> you know, say, what is contentment? And that can sound pretty, you know, in modern values, a contented person sounds pretty stupid. <clears throat> You've got to stand up for yourself, for your rights, prove yourself, don't let them push you around. You've got to, you know, this is a time where there's gender equality, it's, it's uh, human rights, it's, it's about standing up, not being content and grateful, but, you know, really pointing out what's wrong with, with the world and the conventions we're in and really trying to make it right. And this, uh, this is the ethos of this time, <clears throat> so beware of it. It's not about, this is not Dhamma, it's not about, you know, trying to just rectify all the problems and difficulties of a modern society like President Obama is now stuck with trying to, you know, clean up a terrible mess in the United States. <laughs> Uh, be glad you don't have to do that. Be president of the United States is top of the pile, isn't it? You're the, you know, they consider that the uh, most powerful man in the world, and that's uh, in in worldly terms, that's the top of the pile. And so he does have to spend, no doubt, spends all his time with meetings and complaints, criticisms. Uh, trying to clean up a mess he didn't make that somebody else made. Well, that, that's, uh, you know, noble uh, of him to take that on. <coughs> but that, uh, well, that's what it means being at the top of the pile. Now, in the being uh, alms mendicant, is being a beggar dependent on the goodness of others. You know, because the cynical side of me says, I don't know if I can trust anybody, you know, whether, you know, if I don't have security, I don't have financial security and guarantees and food in the larder and, you know, uh, a, a guaranteed devoted lay support team that it will never let me down. It's like the samana is, is uh, you know, the, the aim is to be content, even if, even if we, whatever, with whatever food is given in the alms bowl, with the robe that's offered or the, the um, medicine made available, shelter for the night. Well, this, you know, we, we can take a lot for granted, but I'm not encouraging that or to, to think that, that our life should be a continuous effort towards, uh, uh, you know, material security because then we're just, the worldly values are, are, have infected us. We're just operating from the same position we would do if we weren't summoners. <clears throat> Except being a samana, you can kind of take it, you know, like I'm a, a priest or I'm a, 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 you know, kind of spiritually evolved person on a mission and things like this can be, any religious forms can be a form of sakyaditi if we attach to them out of ignorance. And the danger with religion always is uh, holier than thou. In that we can feel superior 
to the lay community because we don't touch money and we're celibate. We don't have sex. And so we are, you know, somehow morally advanced, more pure than they are. Now that's Sakyaditi, isn't it? Is uh, that, you know, using these, these moral principles out of ignorance and attachment to, to uh, our own view creates a sense of holier than thou. Because I don't have, I'm the celibate. And I, I've given up worldly aims and values. <clears throat> I live the, the pure life dedicated towards liberation. It can be, you know, this can be true, but it also so it can be sakyaditi. I'm somehow, you know, a, a good example to the society. I am somehow superior or better than the average bloke that's just going to the pub at night, watching television, that kind of thing. So that's why it's uh, important to really, really recognize the, the suffering caused through Sakyaditi. In this first noble truth, there is, Sakyaditi is dukkha, or the, the ego, the personality, the sense of me and mine. Now, I'm not asking you to believe me. This is not kind of convince you it's a, uh, or make you believe what I say. It's more a, a reflection, uh, an encouragement to, to take this is one subject of Sakya Ditti, this first fetter, and explore it, listen to it in yourself. So you, you get you're familiar with it. You're not trying to, to suppress ego or get rid of an ego, that's another ego, isn't it? I'm trying to get rid of my ego, it's still the ego, still Sakyaditi. So it's not about getting rid of it, but recognizing what it is. It arises and ceases, your ego, your Sakyaditi, adapts itself to conditions. And so it's, uh, you know, how we use the forms, the conventions of uh, of Theravada Buddhism or the society we're in. You know, the ego will adapt itself to being senior to somebody else or junior or an anagarika or a lay person. I mean, the ego will, you know, adapt itself because it changes according to conditions. But that which is aware of the ego is... Uh, is puto, the knowing. It's a, it's a universal intelligence. It's not personal. It has no quality other than knowing. It's like consciousness at this time. It's a knowing ability, isn't it? Sensitivity. We're in a sense realm, you know, this the having a human body, eyes to see, ears to hear sounds, a nose to smell odors, tongue to taste flavors, body to feel pleasure, pain, heat and cold. Retentive memory, remembering the past. We have to remember the past so we can remember all kinds of unpleasant memories that can make us depressed as Sakyaditi people. <laughs> or we can entertain ourselves, happy good old days, happy memories. So memory is, um, you know, to, to, to be seen for what it is. It is what it is. And to no longer depend on memory uh, for personal, you know, for identification. 
So memories arise according to conditions uh, and then they cease. But that which is aware of the memory, that's puto, that's knowing, being the knowing, the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, unformed. So, like this, reflecting on the, the Samana life is like, like the way the Samana Sanya chants and that are <coughs> reminders because it's so easy to, to be influenced by the society we're in. You know, the society wants us to be priests, really, or spiritually evolved people, exemplary members of society that inspire and that they can trust, and so, so, so it's easy to put the, the samanas in a position uh, that's very intimidating. But it's also, you know, a good opportunity because uh, obviously the goodness that people recognize in our intention, you know, for living this life, it does, you know, for 2,552 years, it's generated the conditions to where this tradition has survived on alms mendicancy. And that, that's amazing. According to my Sakya Ditti level of thinking, it's always impressed me. You know, my cultural attitudes and American values uh, that something, you know, an institution like this established, you know, so long ago in a country like India, survived this long to make it available here and now, here in Amravati, you know, so that the teaching itself has never been corrupted. The Four Noble Truths, you know, various forms of corru corruption take place in Buddhist uh, Buddhism, but, you know, in Buddhist uh, you know, monasteries or countries or whatever. But the actual teaching is incorruptible. How can you corrupt the Four Noble Truths? Except it tends to be ignored and dismissed. Because it is, uh, you know, even though it's based on the kind of most ordinary human common experience we all have, how many of you really want to look at suffering? How many of you rather be inspired by a charismatic religious icon or, or just believe in the ideal values of progress, advancement, or, or just become cynics? Or is it also the Samana, as it's an archetype, kind of archetypal form, So it's, uh, you know, the alms mendicant, the, the yogi, the meditator, the, the one that's left the world to realize truth. But that shouldn't be taken uh, on a Sakyaditi level. And I'm a yogi and I'm, I'm above the materialist values of modern life. And, and, and that could be just another form of snobbery. <coughs> and, um, but it's not that we don't have such thoughts, but it's getting to know those kind of thoughts. They are what they are, like feeling I'm somehow purer than somebody else is like this. And so it's not that I've never felt that, or that, that I have a, a snobbish thought or supercilious uh, condition has never entered my consciousness, but it's getting to know it. It is what it is in that it arises, ceases, and that which knows, that's, the, that's it, that's, that's the escape from suffering, it's buto. And then this, this uh, you know, this 
at this time during this retreat, really listen to, to you know, so you get to know Sakyadithi for what, not criticize it or believe it or let it intimidate, get to know it. Don't be frightened of your conceit or arrogant tendencies or your feelings of, of inferiority or inadequacy or doubts or resentments or pride or conceit. Don't be afraid of it. It's not we're trying to make it all go away by living the holy life. It's getting to know it for what it is. All that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. Whether it's an arrogant thought, I'm better than you are, I'm at the top of the pile, is uh, I'm the, the great teacher, that kind of thing, is like this. It is a condition that arises, it, ha it has to be, have a language for its manifestation. I can't feel superior if I'm a mindful. Or I can't feel like I'm at the bottom of the pile either if I'm, if I'm mindful. I can be mindful of that feeling that I'm at the bottom of the pile or at the top. But I actually operate from, from that position, being at the bottom or at the top, is, uh, you know, then it's, it's karma. I'm making karma, I'm promoting myself, this delusion of myself, the reality of myself as a, as a kind of individual entity that resents being at the bottom or longs to be at the top. You know, it's a, and this, you know, to listen to it, get to know it, in all its permutations and variations, so you can hear the, I mean, take it to absurdity. You know, to where uh, I'm the, the most advanced spiritual human being in the whole planet at this time. You know, where you can take it to its most silly. Just for fun, just to, to see Sakyaditi. Take, you know, don't be frightened of it. But it's like understanding, you know, this, this uh, recognizing it is what it is. Like how many of you would feel guilty if you started thinking I'm the most advanced spiritual Buddhist monk or Buddhist nun? <clears throat> you know, in England that wouldn't be uh, very appropriate because w this society understates things. It would be immodest, vulgar to go around promoting yourself as the most advanced, even if you are. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> recognize that, that, you know, take it to an extreme sense of arrogance and the best or the worst. I'm the, <clears throat> the most inadequate person. I'm no good at all. I'm hopeless. You know, whatever, at least that doesn't sound so threatening, is the arrogant when I'm the best. But in terms of exploration, don't be afraid of being conceited and or being, you know, feeling that you're a hopeless case and can't do anything right. Because it's a matter of listening. Or just the sense of I'm, you know, I'm just an ordinary guy, really. I'm no better than anybody else. I'm, you know, I don't see myself as superior to anybody. And uh, this kind of thing where I'm just being, <clears throat> you know, modest and politically correct and, and nice about everything is like this, still Sakyaditi. And so this uh, Sakyaditi is, it depends on language, on memory, on holding the values of the, the, you know, conditioned phenomena, wanting to be the best, fear of being the worst, of success and failure, praise and blame. And, uh, you know, uh, encouraging not to, to try to suppress it or resist it, but get to know it. 
it is like this, being, having to be somebody is suffering. So the dukkha of being the best or the worst is like this. You know, I put myself out as the best, then I do make my life more difficult because there's always going to be people saying you're not. <laughs> so, so just for safety, you say, well, I'm not the best. I'm just humble monk doing my best that I can, you know, trying to put into practice the teachings of the Buddha. I'm not, I don't see myself as superior or, or in any way, you know, I'm just ordinary guy, really. And uh, <clears throat> that's the safe position to take in this society. It sounds nice. And then the other sounds like you're really neurotic, needs to go to the psychotherapy, you know. I'm hopeless, useless human being. I'm no good for anything. <laughs> Then you need to go to a psychotherapist to get your to get straightened out on that level. That you're you're really a nice person, adequate enough to cope with life, and convince yourself, <coughs> you know, that I'm just as good as anybody else. But it's all this is is language, isn't it? It's it's I am should or shouldn't, and and that's as, that which is aware of these thoughts you know, be they arrogant or depressed or humble, it's not to, you know, not getting rid of the thoughts, but using the thoughts, seeing them in terms of they are conditions. All conditions are impermanent. And not self. Feeling that I'm the best, the greatest thing that ever happened to planet Earth is not self. It is, a, it is what it is. And if, I, if I'm ignorant and attached to it, then I reap the karmic results of holding on to that extreme overestimation of my personal worth. And the same applies to, at the bottom of the pile. I'm the hopeless, nobody loves me, uh, failure of life. I'm just ordinary, well-intentioned bloke, you know, no, nothing special. Doing my best is safer if you're going to talk in public. <laughs> but, but it also is not liberation, isn't it? To be just an ordinary guy. <clears throat> so notice that the samana is, is not about being ordinary or identifying with the samana life. It's a it's a conventional form of expedient means to be able to see that. And in which to, the more we, we reflect on that, then we, we do feel content with little and gratitude for what is offered. And these are the very foundation of, of development. Without contentment and gratitude, we can't get anywhere. You know, spiritually, we, we're... we're we're always complaining or envying or wanting, you know, demanding in some way or feeling we're not good enough or that after years of dedicated practice we haven't, you know, what we, what we have is not what we expected so we're failures. Fear of being, having wasted your life, being a failure. So, like this, is a, uh, this morning's reflection is for encouragement to, to have the courage to look at suffering, self, sakya ditti, personal personality view, the ego, in whatever forms it manifests in 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 the present. It is what it is. <coughs> All conditions are impermanent. You see, if you really look at it, see it as an object, it, you can't sustain it. You can't 
hold on to, you know, you have to become, you know, go a bit, you have to be incarcerated in an institution or something. If you take the top, I'm the best in the world, I'm God, is to try to sustain that for any length of time is you have to go around shouting it, you know, all over the country. And then, then they'd lock you up. <clears throat> so trying to be God is not, you know, is not, uh, is, is a form of madness. We can get by just being modest and nice about everything. <clears throat> but also, you know, we're not, that's not the liberating uh, way to do it. It's not just being mediocre and modest and nice person, but in, in uh, understanding suffering, its causes, in which the, you can witness, observe the absence of suffering. 